Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about fall tillage considerations. But if you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can certainly give us a call, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You could also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. So in terms of fall tillage, I'll just tell you a couple things off our own farm, because people ask us all the time, well, what do you guys do? Well, we do literally everything or we try to do just about everything so then we can speak much more intelligently because we got firsthand experience and we do farm about 3,500 crop acres so we have quite a few acres to work with got some light ground got a bunch of heavy ground Uh, we farm some rolling hills we've farmed some flat heavy river bottom ground Uh, I mean we've got a wide variety of things so it is kind of nice for testing purposes it's more more work for our guys on the farm when we're doing different things in different fields and trying new equipment out and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, just a couple of key things that I would stress here. One, every area is going to be different. And I don't really care exactly how you farm because people ask all the time too, you know, no-till, strip-till, conventional till and comparisons and everything else. We'll do anything we can to help you be successful however you want to operate your farm, okay? But in terms of our farm, the biggest things that we're looking at are, number one, I want to get fertilizer on. Two, I want to get that fertilizer into the ground. So that means either strip till or we're usually going to till it in if it's a non-mobile nutrient like P or K. If it's nitrogen, sulfur, boron, leaving it on the soil surface is not that big a deal because rain's going to move it into the ground. I'm not that worried about that. But I'm just saying deep placement on non-mobile nutrients can be really important. We're also looking all the time at compaction, what we can do to alleviate that. Now, fortunately, and I guess unfortunately, we're in a dry area. And quite frankly, we've been really dry for two and a half years. So when we go out in our fields in the fall, we're not going to create nearly as much compaction as somebody in a wetter area. Also, we've tried to do what we can with drain tile, putting lots of calcium out there, and building our soil's organic matter, so our soil is just more spongy. It's more resilient. We have less issue with compaction than we used to, but it's still something we have to constantly be aware of. Uh, and then beyond that, we're, we're thinking about we want that soil to not blow away on us or not wash away on us. So on our farm, we used to leave a fair amount of residue out there. Our problem right now is we're working with the dairy where they're take, they've been taking a lot of silage for at least the last couple of years. So then we've had to put a cover crop back in. Now, I'm not a super huge fan of having to do more work and seed another, I'll call it crop, but I mean, we're not getting any income off that. But we're throwing oats out there. So it's cheap. It's pretty easy. So no real big deal. But I'm just saying, every operation is going to be a little bit different, and these are just some of the things that we kind of take a look at, and we'll go through this a little bit more as we go throughout the show today and answer any of your questions about tillage. Again, if you want to email us with your questions, you can send them to radio at agphd.com. We're going to get to the agphd mailbag right now. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, got... uh 
a few questions here from PD about soil sampling for trees. So he said, uh, got a backyard, got some yellow trees out there. Uh, probably an iron issue, but I have yet to determine. Exactly I wondered what's going uh, uh, on out there. when you said I've got some yellow trees. I'm like, what kind of tree is that? Okay, the, the, then, the leaves are yellow. Okay. I understand. So uh, they're digging up. Um, that's one thing. And then another one, he said, I've got a friend digging up a field to put in a handful of fruit trees. And as he digs down through the soil, he's got several distinct bands of different subsoils. Wondering with trees, are they sensitive enough to that, that he should be sampling each layer to see what's in that? Or should he just be worried about the top six or 12 or 24 inches? Probably just the top. Uh, and the reason why is this. I, I think we pretty much all know there's nothing much for fertility as you go down deep. So when we talk about fertilizing for trees or soil sampling for trees, you know, it's great to say, well, I'm going to have tree roots going deep. So let's sample all the way down to three feet deep. You're not going to find any nutrients down probably below 12 inches deep. But you go ahead, test it if you want to. It's not going to hurt anything. Just costs a little more money, takes a little bit more time. The reason why most people look at that zero to six inch level is a couple of things. One, that's where a lot of the soil life is. There's a lot of air there. So you have more organic matter. You just have a lot of stuff going on. It changes a lot easier, that kind of thing. But beyond that, that's usually all the deeper a lot of fertility has gotten in or been placed in the ground. So if you want to go down to 12 inches deep in a tree area, I'm all for that. That's probably what I would do. But just keep in mind, trees have roots that are very deep, and trees need lots and lots and lots and lots of potassium. Well, potassium isn't just magically going from the soil surface down 12 inches deep in a day or two. might not even be in a decade or two if you have really heavy soil and not a lot of rain. So I'm just saying here... Um, we can do all this testing we want to, but we got to remember with certain nutrients like phosphorus, potassium, and zinc, they do not move well in soil. So unless you've got some way to get them inject, to inject them down into the ground uh, without causing a bunch of harm to your trees, um, it's tough. So that's why even there are a lot of people that say, oh, you don't need to fertilize for trees. I'm like, what are you talking about? They use a tremendous amount of nutrients. Look at them. But yeah, potassium's the big thing. Um, I'll also say when you put in new tree groves, that's your time. Get that K level loaded way up, get that K down into the ground and some phosphorus and you know the other immobiles too. But you can continue to supplement as time goes on. But I, as far as this yellow tree thing, I don't really know without looking at a soil sample what the, what the issue is. Yeah, is pull, it iron? I don't know. Pull samples, maybe even a sap sample out of the tree. I know I have seen iron deficiency, and it does look like that where you get yellow leaves, green veins. Thanks for the questions. We appreciate that. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. What's new from New Farm? 
Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, talking about fall tillage considerations. And it's one thing to talk about, well, I'm going to use this tillage tool or that, but it's kind of neat some of the different things going on with prescription technologies out in fields and just all the controls you've got for running any type of tillage tool that you're, you're trying to do. One of the technology leaders is TopCon, and we got Brady Bjornsson on with us right now to talk a little bit about fall tillage. How you doing, Brady? Pretty good. How about you guys? Well, we're doing well. We're doing well. And you know what? Harvest is just about wrapped up here for a lot of guys in our area, so the tillage will get started here pretty quick. So what are some of the cool new things coming to help us do the best job? Yeah, one of the things that we've got, uh, got out on the market today is uh, called TopCon Depth Control. Yeah, what that depth control uh, utilizes is a lot of the same stuff that you would have seen in a boom height control system from the NORAC brand. So I guess, you know, maybe take a step back. When we take a look at TopCon, you know, we brought quite a few brands together, including the Digistar brand and the NORAC brand. Uh, with NORAC, we have the ultrasonic boom height control systems, which you would have seen on, you know, Hagee sprayers, a lot of the uh, rogator, interrogator uh, sprayers and uh, drag fertilizer spreaders. And we essentially just utilize that same technology to take a look at tillage. So when we take a look at tillage, we know that when we want to go out there and go and do a job or a task or whatever it happens to be, um, in the back of dad's mind, it means just making it black. But if we go out and just make it black, how much horsepower did we spend? How much fuel did we burn? How many man hours did we put in? With something like tillage depth control, we want to go out and we want to make sure we do the right job the first time. Just like our old man and our grandfather told us, if you're going to do it right, do it right the first time. And that's where Topcon's depth control product kind of plays into that. So again, we leverage the same boom height control technology we do with the ultra, or we use with the ultrasonic sensors, and we just implement that directly onto a tillage tool. So I, I go back and take a look at some of the stuff that we've uh, done with you guys with the uh, with the test farm and integrating tillage depth control onto your guys' Tiger Mate 200. Um, and basically, it's a very easy kitment. You know, I believe your guys' is a, is a four sensor system. We've got options for two sensors and four sensor systems. Um, and it is basically anything that can go on something you pull out of the tree row or something that's fresh off the dealer lot. 
You know, I think that's one of the cool things, Brady, uh, that uh, some folks will say, man, Top Gun, uh, we're hearing about these guys all over the place. They're working with about every brand out there. And that's not yep. easy to do because everybody's got their own kinds of systems. So uh, is there anything that you don't work with? Because I think about the guys doing, um, well, a lot of different implements. Like you say, you could be anything you pull out of the trees. Well, and that's one of the big things that we take a look at. It's like, you know, number one, um, if you don't play well with others, you don't get to play with anybody. You know, in Top Con's philosophy is we want to make sure we play well with others. So that's why we're very uh, leveraged in the isobus scene. So we're leveraged in the back end. When people talk about, you know, this big pluck fest that happens in uh, in May of every year down in uh, down in uh, Lincoln. Um, and then the other part of that is, you know, we want to make sure we leverage everything that's already, you know, either in your um, – basically out in your fleet or things that you plan on bringing in, whether that's something that's brand new or whether that's something that is used, you know, let's talk about tillage tools. I mean, if, uh, if we go across South Dakota, North Dakota, Northwest, Northwestern Minnesota, like where I'm from, you've got everything from brand new, you know, diggers to 40 year old chisel plows that are still getting used. There's no reason for you necessarily have to go and buy a new one when you can get the capability of new for, you know, less than 10% of the total cost of buying a new one. I mean, it's it's uh, pretty easy for us to go retrofit kit that to get that old dog learning new tricks. Yeah, it's pretty neat when you can uh, control the depth as you're heading across the field. You can dial in what you want so you get the results that you want in the end, whether it's setting up a great seed bed, dealing with residue, dealing with compaction, whatever the case may be. We're talking with Brady Bjornson here with TopCon, some of the guys that design these types of systems uh, for themselves and for a lot of the other major brands that are out there on the market. Brady, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Yep, no problem. Thank you. Appreciate it. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. We get a call from Ryan here over in Illinois. Ryan, how you doing? Uh, good. How are you? Good. Good. What can we do for you? Uh, so I have a question. So if uh, it's not about fall pillage, but it's about, um, so I'm young and uh, I have some farming experience, like working on farms, but I'm going on year three now. But my dream is to like be an actual farmer. So like, I guess my question is like, what? Like, is it is it just a dream to become a farmer these days, or is there, like, a realistic way for me to become a farmer in the future with little money and, like, little experience? Well, Ryan, I will just say it's not super easy, but by the same token, if you look at what agriculture is today in terms of demographics, and I'm talking crop farming here, we're one of the oldest professions. In other words, and that's not necessarily a good thing, might be, but um, the average age of the farmer out there is is getting up there. And if you talk to most older farmers, they are looking for somebody young to come in. Now, some of them have kids, some of them have relatives, but there are a whole bunch that do not. And so mm -hmm. some of them are just thinking, well, I guess if there's nobody I can pass it on to or anything, I'll just rent it out eventually. And it is what it is. And someday my kids will sell it and I'm just done. But there are also some farmers out there who may be interested in working with you to help get you going. If you, let's say you work with them or work for them for 10 or 15 years, something like that. But I mean, there are a lot of these things where it takes time and mm -hmm. I, I, there are, just our society in general, I would say, we as Americans 
are pretty impatient. We want success, and yeah. we want success now. And agriculture, we have in crop farming anyway, here in the United States, for most of us, we have one business cycle per year. That's it. We raise one crop. So it's hard to gain experience with multiple years of crops without spending multiple years at it. It just takes time, and it takes time mm-hmm. to build up uh, the money and everything else. And you look at the value today of farmland, of equipment, everything else, it's, it's hard. So what a lot of people in my area have done, because we're right by Sioux Falls, which, I mean, compared to most towns, it's small, but it is the biggest town in the Dakotas. And so a lot of people will work in town and then they've bought a 40 or they've rented a 40 and they they find used equipment or they might work with a friend or something like that and share some equipment and get started that way. So there are a lot of ways to do this thing. It just depends on kind of what your goals are and what, what your hopes and dreams are. So yes, I mean, it uh, it, it's great to have dreams and it's great to get going on this stuff. But I mean, there's, there's no simple, easy way to get into this thing. And it's probably in your case, just going to take talking to a lot of farmers and mm-hmm. just seeing what potentially could be out yeah, there. The good thing is farmers are older guys for the most part or older folks. And, uh, they're always looking for young help, always looking for people willing to work and, and finding farm help uh, reliable farm help is really, a challenge and this is way the way that a lot of first generation farmers that we know of have gotten in is just start working for somebody that doesn't have anybody else in the operation it's a one person show or a mom and pop show mm-hmm. that that they need some help and then you know if you've got uh, enough income that way great if you get an off farm job that provides you enough income where maybe you buy a piece of ground and and then you say hey I got a piece of ground too I'll do some work for you if I can use your equipment on mine or something like that is a good way to to go but yeah there there's endless endless opportunities out there but it might not be right in your backyard and it might not be really quick either unfortunately sure. so where do i find the jobs then like is there like on indeed do you think or like is oh, there... i don't know most farmers the average age of the farmer is 58 years old so i don't know that they're necessarily online i i think uh, yeah that was what i was thinking <laughs> i think more so you know i i just think small town america you know you you talk to the grain elevator and say who do you know that needs some help anybody need help driving trucks uh-huh. uh who do you got that okay. needs some help doing some tillage that kind of thing or mm-hmm. maybe it's your local church or your local school and you just start mm-hmm. talking to people yeah my son is going to college and it was the college professor that lined him up with somebody in his area. So he's working for a farmer this fall down where he's going to school. And so, yeah, there, there are plenty of people out there that, you know, can kind of hook you up with somebody, but yeah, like we say, there's just, there's no simple, easy way about this, but Mm -hmm. we do need more young farmers. So we're excited that you are interested in that as a profession. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, uh, Ryan, good luck out there. Let us know if you got any other questions or anything else we can help you with. Will do. Thank you, guys. You bet. We'll see you. Talking fall tillage on today's show, taking your calls and questions, too, at 844-44-AG-PHD. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. 
Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It changes everything. So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Just because your combine is one brand doesn't mean its corn head should be the same, especially when it costs you yield. Drago corn heads are engineered to harvest more. Lowest profile saves ears. Self-adjusting deck plates save kernels. Longer knife rollers reduce trash. And aggressive gathering chains pick up stocks. No other corn head works like a Drago or pays you back like one. See more features and find your Drago dealer at dragotech.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients. AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We got fall tillage on our minds, but you may have some other agronomic question on your mind. And our phone lines are open to take those questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Over in northern Illinois, Clayton's got a question, though. How are you doing, Clayton? Pretty good. How are you guys? Good, good. What can we do for you? Hey, we got this farm, and... uh we're only getting like 225 bushel yield on it and we're planting 35,000 plants per acre. Should we back that down to like 30 to get more optimal yield and maybe save a little money? Well, it's certainly a possibility. Have you run any population tests on your farm? Have not. We're just 35,000 across the board, but we've never reached over 225. Sure. So our usual rule is seven to ten times your planting population in thousands. So if we figure thirty-five thousand, that'd be a uh, yield range of two forty-five to three fifty. 
However, that's not an exact science. And the biggest thing we're always going to tell people is don't cut stuff that's making you money. So if you're profitable where you're at, it's like, well, it's going to be hard to change. But at, at a minimum, I would at least be running some trials where, let's say I do some strips out there of 32000 and maybe some at 30000 or something like that, and just see, hey, did I give up any yield? And then, like you said, you can save money on seeds. So you can go back just a little bit on yield, and you'd still come out ahead based on your seed cost. But, I mean, you got to look at kind of the whole package, too. Here's the other thing. Where you're at now, you're not that far from what we would consider the bottom end of, of that range on the 245. So we would just say, all right, planting population right now is not your yield limiting factor. What is? So I'd try to figure out, okay, what else could I possibly do out there to maybe get to that 245, 250, and then everything's good. So one of the biggest things that we do get concerned about when there's a lot of population for the yield is do you have enough potassium? Because if you don't, your stocks, when you go thick for population, your, your stock size is going to be smaller. And if you don't have enough potassium to overcome that, you're going to have lodging issues. So uh, Darren and I were talking about this just, I'm going to say a week ago, and we were discussing planting population for our own farm. And Darren just said, yeah, well, we've ran trials. And as soon as we get up to, what did you say, Darren? Was it 36 or 40? We started having more lodging yep, issues. 36. Yeah. And that's with pretty good potassium. Now we've bumped it. So we should be able to overcome that moving forward. But we had been having issues going to 36,000 where our standability just wasn't there. So how are your potassium levels in your soil? Uh, that's probably the limiting factor then because our tests do show that it is a little low. Yep. And here's the thing. When a big wind comes, you might say, well, it's this variety didn't stand as well as that other variety. But we're trying to give all varieties a good shot. And at that kind of population, we would really worry about low potassium. So plus the fact that, yeah, your low potassium may be your yield limiting factor. So I know fertilizer is high priced. Believe me, because I have to write the check too. But I would say I, if it's me, I'm going to start trying some things like bumping my K and, you know, maybe there's other stuff too. If you want to send us your soil test, yeah. we'd be more than happy the to look at it. The other thing too, Clayton, uh, variable rate population is pretty simple. I mean, there there are some programs like Climate, for example, that, that is free or $99 and, and you can do variable rate populations across your field based on your yield. So you can try some different things out. Maybe you got some zones out there that are 240 or something and you got other zones that are 180 and you can play around with seeding rates just a little bit just to see what kind of response you get to. Okay. Well, hey, I appreciate the info, guys. You bet. Thanks a lot. Good luck to yep. you. Thanks. I got Sean Arthur with us right now with Environmental Tillage Systems. Sean, how you doing? Good afternoon. I'm doing well today. We're talking fall tillage, and Brad and I get so many questions about strip tillage that uh, we thought maybe you'd be the guy to answer some of these questions for us and and help us out. What questions are you getting already this fall? Anything unusual versus uh, versus most years? Well, I guess maybe I'd start with an observation that I've made driving across the countryside. Uh, there's a lot of areas where harvest is in full swing right now, and I want to remind guys of the importance of setting their combines to evenly distribute the residue as it's coming out the backside of it, uh, especially when you're cutting beans. If you're not getting that scattered across the full width of your combine swath, uh, that can lead to some issues next year, regardless of what type of tillage you're doing, or even in a no-till situation. Because if you've got areas of uh, thick residue mat out there, um, that's going to 
definitely uh, create some emergence concerns versus areas that have uh, significantly less residue on them. Wow, does that ever make a difference when you see windrows out in the field? Uh, if you're not bailing it up, it's not a good thing because you're right. It's going to completely change that environment next year, no doubt about that. Yes, and as guys start to consider different tillage options, um, doing strip till across the field can be a nice way of starting that whole process for next year's crop. Um, a lot of guys are in the mindset right now to put an end to this year as we get to reap the benefits of all the hard work that we put into it and see what these yields are. But really, this is the time of year to set ourselves up for next year's crop. Um, handling that residue and then doing that first tillage pass. And if you're making strips out there, that tillage pass is going to be exactly what you plant into next spring. So it's important to make sure you slow down and take the time to get your equipment set right and prepare that uh, first pass as you go across the field. Now, we think about one of the things in our farm is is building a little berm up there where we're doing the tillage. We kind of want a little mound right where our strips are. We know that's going to settle out as those air pockets kind of fill in and whatnot. But uh, how do you judge how you do that? How, is, there an, is it just art or is there some science that says, oh, you need to have that berm built up four inches or six inches or something like that? Well, the size of your berm is going to be dependent on what type of strip till machine that you're running. Uh, if you're running a deep shank that's reaching down to depths of 8 to 10 inches and you're pulling a lot of that up to the surface, you're going to have a taller berm than something that's doing maybe a 4 to 6 inch deep pass. Um, and a big function of that is going to be the size of the clods that you're creating. Uh, if you're making big chunks of dirt, that's going to induce a lot more air into that strip. And the more air and uh, clod size that we've got, the higher your strip is going to be. Whereas if you're running something with more of a min-till or a coulter setup that is doing a better job of sizing the residue and sizing those um, pieces of soil, it's not going to be built up quite as tall. And then consequently, you won't see as much settling over winter because there wasn't as much breakdown of those pieces. Hey, you mentioned chunks, and that is one of the questions we've gotten this fall. We're really dry in our area, and we're creating some chunks, so we're just going to quit for now. Is that good advice, or do you say, no, you can go through it. We can break it up with coulters later. I just, I'm always nervous about those big chunks. If you can uh, give me a good answer for what the weather is going to do for the next three months before we freeze out, then I can uh, give you a better recommendation there. Laughing a little bit when I say that, but... Uh, if we're not going to get better conditions to do tillage, we might have to do a necessary evil and go out there and deal with those dry conditions right now. Those chunks are going to be something that we have to contend with later on, but it's going to be uh, beneficial to open up the soil right now um, and then give us an opportunity for that water to infiltrate later on when we do get a rain. If we do have some large chunks that don't break down over winter, then you might need to be looking at some type of a second pass or a strip freshener in the spring to help size them down because if by next spring you're still looking at pieces that are the size of a baseball that's going to be really tough to plant into yeah. uh, typically we do get some nice um, fracturing and break those clumps over winter um, but we, we do need to make sure that we've got good conditions for planting when spring does roll around now you mentioned coulters you mentioned shank i know we like going in the fall with the shank uh, do you still have a lot of guys doing the the coulters and trying to mix fertilizer evenly throughout the zone or what's the most popular fall way um, my first preference is to make my strips in the fall. I do like doing that preparation. Then when the weather comes around in the spring, we can focus just on planting. And uh, at environmental tillage systems, we have a lot of soil warriors that go out with that three coulter configuration, and guys are using them in the fall. Um, they're getting a strip that's about five to six inches deep and getting their fertilizer mixed through that entire zone, um, and that's working out really well for them. 
But part of that is a function of what they're looking at for their soil health. If you've got some deep compaction that needs to be dealt with, um, that coulter setup's probably not going to be aggressive enough to get down to those deep levels. But if you've got some good soil structure out there and you're using it as a um, planter preparation pass and a way to incorporate all that fertilizer, those coulters can be a very nice option to run in the fall or the spring. Oh, and they leave such a nice root mass underneath the plant uh, of the root digs that we did this summer where, where guys are using that three-culture system and, and mixing it all evenly throughout there. The roots are, are just tremendous. Hey, Sean, we got to run. Thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on here talking a little fall tillage with strip till. That's uh, Sean Arthur with Environmental Tillage Systems. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. In a world of Veltima fungicide. Hey, let's do it less dramatic. Just say Veltima fungicide. Okay, Veltima fungicide. No, that's literally the same. Veltima fungicide. Still doing it. Veltima fungicide does it. Seriously, we just need you to say Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. Didn't I? Veltima fungicide from BASF in cornfields this summer. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. When it comes to mites in your field, you can't afford a solution that might work. That's why there's Zealpro Miticide from Valent USA. With next level knockdown and long residual control, you can be sure to handle spider mites at all stages of life with complete certainty. With efficient translaminar activity, apply by ground or air, and confidently attack mites where they are. Make Zealpro the definitive answer to your mite problem. Visit valent.com slash zealpro to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more, all designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, we're talking about fall tillage considerations. And one of the considerations that we haven't really talked about yet is who's doing the fall tillage? I know when we talk about strip till, man, oftentimes the guy who is running the planter in the spring wants to run the strip till, so he has the rows set up exactly the way he wants them. But, but or or she, oh, what about the what about the other tillage? Well, oftentimes it ends up being not the primary operator on the farm, and in those cases, there there are some good ways to uh, to set things up. We got C.J. Parker with us right now with Case IH, and and C.J. Uh, precision tillage. It's kind of cool that this is a reality now. You can actually set a tillage yeah. map up for somebody. Yeah, it is. Um, it's uh, it's pretty pretty cool technology. You know, uh, we've gone from from running prescriptions on fertilizer and and seeding and um, and and our, our pesticide management, and uh, now we can add tillage into into that group as well. All right, so talk to us about this. Uh, I, I know a lot of times uh, folks will say, okay, I love precision ag. How do I set that up? What, what am I looking for? What are some of the things that are going to determine uh, how, I might, how I might go about doing that? Well, it's really a, really a variety of things. Um, what we can do now is bring in, bring in a soil map. So if, uh, if you need to manage um, certain soils differently, um, maybe it's some uh, highly erodible soil or, or lighter soil where you want to leave more residue. Um, utilizing our soil command, for instance, on that on that 875 disc ripper, um, you could uh, you could raise them that disc gang up all the way in the front and the leveling system in the back, and uh, and just run the ripper points to uh, to kind of kind of run that machine like an inline ripper in that in that area. Um, so there's a, there's a variety of different ways we can we can do. I know some people maybe look at a, at a yield map on where they got heavy residue and, and maybe some lighter residue, and can have it make those adjustments on the on the go. Yeah, that is that is pretty interesting, and and I think about that that uh, guys like my brother might want to be uh, doing one job, and then they kind of want to be in control of that other job too to make sure it goes right. Yeah. So that's kind of a neat thing. Yeah, and you can also look at it. You know, I know, you know a lot of guys got some maybe some some real shallow tile in an area, and maybe they got the hired guy there working that field. And um, you know, you can make that zone to uh, to have that that tillage tool raise up when he gets in that area, so he doesn't rip that uh, that tile line out. So there's a there's a variety of different use cases to to run prescription tillage. Absolutely, you know, although and- you don't have to. You don't have to run. You can you can run the prescription technology, and we we also have presets as well available. So um, you can you can have that machine set up for that uh, that that operator to run in setting one or setting two, depending on on what field you may be going into. That that is nice technology, and you know when you think about things like AFS Soil Command, what types of tillage tools are going to be running this fall that that you may be using that on? Uh, tools running this fall would be the uh, the Akala Tiger 875, um, and then our our true tandem lineup. So our, our disc harrows and our, our vertical tillage tools, the, the 335BT and the 335Barracuda. When you think about vertical tillage, that's one that's really gaining popularity, and a lot of guys utilize that for chopping up corn stalks or doing a variety of tasks. What are some of the things that you'd say in the fall with vertical tillage that you need to keep in mind to get the best job done? Well, you know, talking about uh, about prescription with, with vertical tillage, I can I can share a look kind of a neat story that we did on on some wheat stubble, 
in Ohio here a few years ago. Um, there was a sand vein that ran through the middle of that field, and um, it showed up really well on the soil map. So we wrote that prescription to actually raise that tool up about an inch and a half. Um, so when the tool came across that area of the field, the tires wanted to sink down in the sand, but we raised everything up and was able to keep that residue coverage more, more consistent, even though the soil type drastically changed from a clay to a, to a sandy type soil. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Hey, on the Ecala Tiger 875, if you're doing some deeper tillage out there, obviously if it's wet, you're probably not going to be out there and everybody wants it to be dry, but how dry is too dry? Because we got some areas of pretty extreme drought in the West, and I know guys are concerned about how hard the ground is. Uh, what do you recommend when it comes to deep tillage in those situations? Um, that's one thing to uh, to maybe keep an eye on, especially as um, as everybody tries to keep the tools on the ground right when it starts getting starts getting um, to getting pretty hard. Um, in some of those cases, I have actually cheated the machine to uh, to maybe be nose down just uh, just a little bit to uh, to allow those points to uh, to maybe grab a hold of the ground and, and, and get to that depth. Yeah, a lot of lot of strategies out there with different tillage tools. And then, how about with the disc harrow type operation? What are what are guys looking for? And and is it tillage floor that you're mostly concerned about there, or what are some of the things to to really pay attention to? You know, we're running into that um, that three four inch depth, um, depending on the size of, of the disc blades. You know, a lot of folks look at a disc blade that uh, that may be twenty four inches big, and they they think they need to run that thing thing down to the ground or down to the spools. But um, really, we run about 25% radius. So easy math for me, 24-inch blade, 12-inch radius, I want to be about 3 inches deep. Um, that's going to give us that to that 45-degree angle to cut that residue and mix it. Um, really want that residue mixed in that top 3 or 4 inches. We, we always like to say that's where a fence post routes off at, and that's where we're going to get that decomposition decomposition of that residue the best as well yeah great stuff here talking with cj parker with case ih and uh, of course if you're curious about the afs soil command uh where would you go cj what where's the best source to, to find info on that um there's quite a few uh quite a few stuff on out there on youtube i believe but um, also our, our website at uh, caseih.com or your local case ih dealer very good. CJ, thank you so much. I know you're super busy. Really appreciate having you on. All right. Thank you. Uh, Brent, lots of stuff there on the, the tillage, but we also had a question come in on uh, some winter triticale that, that Lee's putting out there. He got some new ground. He said, we are working it up right now to plant some winter, winter triticale. Our ground has pure or pivot irrigation, so we know we can get stuff started. However, we've got high pH, high salt, and some micronutrient issues uh, on the soil tests. Uh, if we send the test to you, will that give you a better idea what to do, or do some of these things uh, give you some ideas already? High pH, high salt what? And uh, some <clears throat> micronutrient issues. Oh, yeah, and micros. Well, I, I mean, a little bit, but I don't know how high the pH is and how high the salt is. So, yeah, if we have a soil test, I... I mean, we're going to know an awful lot more. As a, just a 
general blanket statement. What we want to have always is good drainage. So then usually the pH and the salt issues are gone. We want to balance the soil fertility as much as possible. With something like triticale, does it need lots, I mean, like ridiculous amounts of P and K just for grain removal? No. So it, it's not like you have to have crazy high fertility levels out in that soil, but you got to have something. And then nitrogen's a big deal, nitrogen and sulfur. But I, I don't know when to tell you to time that because I don't know how light or how heavy your soil is or how much moisture you get. So just as an example, like in our own operation here, we'll very often in the summertime go a month or more without a good rain. So we like to put more of our nitrogen on early compared to a lot of other areas where they get rain about every other day. Well, then it's no big deal. You can do more spoon feeding because the nitrogen and the sulfur and the boron, all those leachables, can move down into the soil pretty well and pretty timely. But we have a difficult time being timely because of our lack of consistent rainfall. So, I mean, these are just some of the considerations that I'm looking at. Darren, was there anything else? That well, he I had? just I just think about that pivot irrigation and just getting a good sample of that water quality in addition to what's going on in the soil and yep. uh, looking at that. The other thing to watch too, we've seen compaction really create some big time issues in irrigated ground, and a lot of times you think you kind of got the tiger by the tail by having irrigation. Hey, man, I can make it water or rain whenever I want to, but having good drainage underneath it and then eliminating compaction so things can flush through the soil is important. Yeah, and the last thing I would say is because of the irrigation, I, I would think totally differently about my fertility program. I'd put the nitrogen, the sulfur, and the boron as much as possible through the pivot. It, it's really easy compared to having to go out there with a ground rig. All right, stay tuned. We'll be back for more of your calls and questions after this. It came on a night like any other with power unlike anything else on Earth. Using beyond advanced active ingredients like bicyclopyrrole, Acuron GT post-emergence corn herbicide is here to annihilate tough weeds. Advanced technology, enhanced control. Talk to your Syngenta retailer about Acuron GT. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. Understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App. Simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you. Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play. If we only had 20 words to talk about AgBiome, we would say we are agricultural innovators focused on unlocking the power of the microbial world to deliver unique, effective crop protection solutions. If we only had five words, we'd say learn more at agbiome.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from FarmShop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. 
Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. We had a caller from Texas who uh, is responding to uh, an earlier call that we had with uh, Ryan in Illinois who was talking about just a young guy uh, not growing up on a farm but trying to get into farming, just looking for the path. Uh, he said uh, to mention in Texas, the county agents, county extension agents are often a great way to find out who needs help. And also they oftentimes get an early indication somebody may be interested in selling land here coming up in the next few years. Hey, that's a great tip. We really appreciate that. Uh, so, yeah, check with your county extension agent and, and other uh, professionals in the industry to see if they've they've got any leads for you. That's often a good way to go. I uh, got another young farmer here, Calvin, down in eastern Oklahoma with a few questions. And he said, first of all, guys, longtime fan of your TV and radio shows. I'm working on becoming an agronomist or a crop advisor. I had graduated from Oklahoma State back in 2019, BS in agribusiness, minor in crop and soil sciences. And I'm currently working for a, a big farm here in eastern Oklahoma, planting a bunch of different crops. And I've gotten to participate in most areas of the farm. Also, my employer is allowing me to do my own 30-acre pivot irrigated test plot. And I'm running a bunch of trials there and, and learning a lot. I'm currently studying for the 2023 Certified Crop Advisor in International Exam. It comes up in February. Just wondering what advice you'd give to me to, to study up and do the best. Uh, I didn't really get started into agronomy until towards the end of my college career, and I'm confident I got the basics down now, and studying's going well, but uh, any help would mean the world to me. Hey, thanks, Calvin, and good luck to you, first of all. Yeah, usually they have study guides, and if you just look at that and really go through it again and again and again till you know it front and back, you'll be in great shape. Yeah, I agree. The study guides are, are pretty helpful and uh, certainly you can, can talk to uh, any CCAs for, I mean, see if you get anybody that'll mentor you as well along the way, just with any local issues and, and just experience along uh, with yeah, that Yeah, but program. that really doesn't have anything to do with the test. So if you're just trying to pass the test, then I'm not too worried about that. But yeah, as far as becoming a good agronomist, I mean, honestly, 
the biggest thing for me was just talking to lots of farmers. And I still say it to agronomists almost every day. You can't just spend time with three farmers or 30 farmers. You got to spend time with lots of farmers because they're going to give you all the information you need to know. They're going to help you learn everything. It's all about trying to figure out in your area what really is going on, what's actually working, what's not working, and then vetting that out. In other words, where I'm going with this is if you're working with three farmers, or not, if, if that's what you're, you want to do and that's all you're doing today, whatever, that's fine. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Other than I just like talking to lots of people to get lots of information. So whether you're working with them or not, who cares? But the more farmers you can visit with, the more you're going to find out about all the different things that work and don't. If you just get one or two or three people's opinions, then you don't really know for sure. But when you start getting, I mean, back when I was doing just agronomy stuff full-time. I mean, I was talking to 700 farmers every year, at least, if not more. And today I get the chance to talk to many more than that because of all the media stuff that we do. It's awesome. And we get the tough questions too. So it really makes you think. It challenges you to become a better agronomist, to, to find the answers. And it's fun. And here's one other thing. When you look at all the things you can do in this world. I just come back to being a farmer and being an agronomist. How can you possibly beat that? Because when you do your job every day, everybody wins. Everybody wins. It's amazing. And our, our world has more food. Our local communities have more money. Our land is better. Our resources are better used. Everything's great. So yeah, we applaud you for, for going into the profession that you're in. And now you just got to work your tail off and try to make things better. All right. Thanks for the question. Got uh, a question on magnesium that came in from Lydia. Lydia is down in Texas and sounds like she, uh, she might be raising grapes here. Uh, Lydia said, I've watched all of your high soil magnesium videos that I can find. And I've got a few questions. So all of my samples are coming back. Magnesium base saturation, 36 to 46 and my calcium 45 to 54%. I'm confused because my soil's sandy, doesn't seem to have a drainage issue, but our grape petiole samples keep coming back extremely high in magnesium and it's affecting our fruit quality and yield. So I, I'm wondering, should I be amending the soil with calcitic lime? Uh, in one of your videos Wait, you said- Wait, what's the pH? Uh, I don't know that answer yet. Okay. Uh, in one of your videos, you said you put on six tons per acre per year. In another video, you said a max of 2,400 pounds of calcium. I'm uh, just curious how that correlates and how many applications of lime per year or how often do you put lime on, that kind of thing. Uh, I'm down in Texas. Okay, so first of all, send us your soil tests. I would really like to look at them because when you say it's sand, then that tells me that you're not going to need much of anything to get this soil corrected because it just flat out doesn't hold much. Uh, but I question, is it actually sand? So I'd like to see the cation exchange capacity. I'd like to see how many parts per million you actually have. I'd like to see your potassium levels, all that kind of stuff. As far as this lime thing, lime and calcium are two different things. So in lime, there is calcium, but calcium by itself is not lime. So what lime is, it's calcium carbonate. 
And then besides that, you're going to have water, and you're usually going to have some other things in there too. So in six tons of lime that we get from a water treatment plant, roughly seven, if I remember right off the top of my head, 17% of that is actual calcium. So that's, you know, in that range of 2,000 to 2,400 pounds of actual calcium. So that's the product that we were using. Now we've, we've used many other sources of calcium or lime as well. So in your case, I don't know for sure what to recommend to you because I don't know what all the other statistics are. But I would say magnesium at 36 to 46, yeah, that's pretty high. But rather than focusing on that so much, I'd look at, well, what are we short on? Okay, your magnesium is in, magnesium is in excess, but what are we short on? Odds are, are very high that you're going to be short on potassium and maybe even on calcium. And then there could be some other nutrients too. So you start working on fixing your potassium issue, your shortage on calcium, your shortage on any other nutrients, and you're going to see that magnesium percentage over time start to come down. But if you want to send us your soil tests, I can give you a more exact answer. All right. I uh, get an interesting question. This comes from Marty down in North Carolina. He said, how do you control broom sedge in a hay field? It's cool season grasses. Well, Marty, you asked the impossible question here because there's nothing that I know of that you can spray that won't kill the grass. So to kill the broom sedge, you have to kill the grass. So uh, when you think about it, there's other opportunities like mowing or burning, but they just don't seem to work very well with broom sedge. Uh, I, I know guys have said they've had decent luck with a, a wick and putting Roundup on that way, just letting it, when it's bigger than the grass, you can come with a wick and, and hit it with Roundup. Guys have had the best luck if they wick one way and then turn around and wick it the other way too, so they really coat that weed. Uh, but one of the, or a couple other things here that you may consider. First of all, cattle will eat broom sedge when it's real small. When it's in the very early vegetative stages, they'll actually eat it. So if you get out there in those areas and graze them when, when it's small, you got a shot at, at at least uh, holding it back. But the best recommendations that, that uh, I've gotten on this one have been to, to manage soil fertility, manage your soil pH, uh, take good soil samples out there, figure what you can do to give your grass, your desirable grass, a better competitive advantage against this tough weed. And then the other thing is rotational grazing. And I know, I, I don't know if you have the same issue in North Carolina that we have as you come west, but oftentimes we end up... Uh, overgrazing because we thought we were going to get some rain and it never came and now that grass isn't regrowing very well and we see a lot of pastures this year that have just uh, gotten grazed down way too hard and, and oftentimes that's where we see uh, tough weeds start coming in so managing soil ph and soil fertility starts with taking good soil samples that's that'd be my first recommendation uh, doing some rotational grazing and then if you've got just a huge problem you can either spray roundup and start over or you can get a wick and just go through and and wick those weeds if they're up taller than the grass uh, wick them both ways you'll do a nice job hey thanks marty really appreciate the question about broom sedge tough tough weed well thanks for listening to our show today and please join us again each weekday for more ag phd radio <laughs>